This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, January 13th, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include a newly discovered malware is a triple OS threat. We'll tell you what you need to look out for. Apple seems to have a multiple personality when it comes to policing troublesome apps on its app stores. Apple's new iCloud private relay feature is getting stiff-armed by a number of phone carriers. What do the carriers see as a problem? And we'll discuss the internet search business. Could and would Apple build a search engine as good or better than Google's? Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. I'm looking at the new malware that we've discovered, and I'm thinking that I'm a picker, I'm a grinner, I'm a lover, I'm a sinner. I play my music in the sun because we have this malware called Sis Joker Backdoor. That's the right Joker, right? The Steve Miller song. Well, yeah, or or perhaps it could be Joker from uh, Batman. I don't know. Batman, that's the thing? Yeah, you know, Batman, the comic book character, movies, all that. Oh, okay. I thought that ended in the 60s. (laughs) I'm out of touch. No, I'm not a superhero movie fan. And actually, when we were looking at the show notes and I saw this, the first thing I thought of was the Steve Miller song, maybe because it starts with Sis, Sis Joker, S-Y-S Joker. So this is a new backdoor that targets Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. Tell us about it. Yeah, that's actually one of the interesting things about this. So, um... In a recent talk that I gave at AVAR, I was talking about how we're very likely to see in 2022 some more cross-platform malware. And here we are, like, in the first couple of weeks of, of January, and we're already seeing that. But how can it be cross-platform? I thought that the, the operating systems were different enough that the same malware couldn't work on different operating systems. Sure. Well, there's different components of it that, that work on Windows or Mac OS or Linux, depending on, you know, what's... Yeah, depending on what system you're using, it'll download the correct components and and work on your computer. It's espionage malware. So it collects information about the system that it's installed on, and then it reports that back to a command and control server. So this is another one of these Tom Cruise things. Um, yeah, and, and we don't know you know a whole lot of information about who developed this malware, but um, this is also always something that's interesting to see is when, whenever we come across malware that is specifically designed to collect as much information as possible, send it off to a server, and okay, so what's the plan? Like, what are they going to do with this information? Well, what kind of information do we know that it collects? Well, it, it collects information such as the MAC address, which is a physical hardware address of your network adapter, whether it's Wi-Fi or Ethernet, your username. It'll collect serial numbers, IP addresses, and potentially other information as well. So what it does is it encodes all of this, and then it transmits it back to to this command and control server. Could this be the kind of thing that's collecting your keystrokes, the combination of your username and password, to potentially put that in a database to try and attack people? This particular one, we haven't observed doing that yet. But that is also something that a lot of espionage malware does like to do. And I wouldn't be surprised to see future versions of this that might add additional functionality to. It's pretty typical that espionage malware will 
evolve over time and they'll add new capabilities and things. Okay. Well, that's pretty scary. Yeah, but you don't need to worry too much about it. As always, of course, if you're running the latest version of uh, your Intego software, make sure you keep the definitions up to date then you should be just fine from this malware or any other malware. Okay, we want to talk about some App Store issues. A developer named Costa Eleftheriu, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing the name, had a thread a couple of days ago, how to make $13 million on the App Store. And he found an app called Amp Me Speaker and Music Sync. It's a volume booster and equalizer. And it's $10 a week to use this app. You get VIP access for, let's be honest, $9.99 a week. It's $520 a year minus 52 cents. So that's a lot of money. And it turns out that not only is it full of fake reviews, tons of fake reviews, five-star, best app ever. It is number 135 highest grossing app on the App Store, bringing in over 13 million since 2018. We'll link in the show notes to a Twitter thread where Costa Eleftherio is explaining all this. Tens of thousands of fake reviews drown out the real ones, which are all one-star reviews saying it doesn't work and all that. The problem is that not only are these fake reviews, not only is it a scam, but Apple has been featuring this app over and over, promoting it because they're making money. They're not paying attention to the fact that there are tons of scam reviews. And this is like going into a huge Barnes & Noble. Do they still exist, Barnes & Noble? Big bookstores, right? Where you've got 100,000 books and trying to weed out the ones that are bad. It's the same kind of thing, except we've got millions of apps and we've got people who are taking advantage of this using like automated systems to put fake reviews, et cetera. It's really hard to control this. Yeah, well, theoretically, it shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> One of the things that should be really easy for Apple to detect is these fake reviews, because we're talking tens of thousands of fake reviews, and, and there's screenshots of this in this Twitter thread, by the way, where you can see very clearly that these are not real people's names. It, it looks like someone mashed a keyboard, right? <laughs> like these do not look like actual names. And it's, and every one of these is like that. Okay. I'll be honest. I know a number of people who use strange names for their online personas, Josh. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, but there's a clear pattern here because. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, if, if you, if you're comparing all these names, you can definitely see that um, this is, this is not normal. <laughs> So th that's that's one aspect of this. But then the other thing that I think is really sad and really telling is the featured timeline. So um, there's a screenshot that shows all the times that this Amp Me app has been featured by Apple in the App Store just over the last year or so. July 2020, uh, it had been featured a couple of times. August 2020, June 2021, July 2021, and August 2021. This was featured by Apple, um, and it showed up uh, in in a couple of different cases as apps we love right now with a heart emoji for the love. So Apple is saying, we love this app. Well, the only reason they love it is because it's making them a ton of money, but the only reason it's making them a ton of money is because of this ridiculous $10 a week subscription. And it's not really even doing, um, apparently, what the app is, uh, claims to be able to do. Because if you look at the legitimate reviews, they're almost all one star and saying this app doesn't do what it claims. 
Yeah. The first thing that Apple should probably do, you know, we've gone from the purchase to subscription model for so many apps because Apple refuses to have an upgrade policy, refuses to have demos that you can download. The only way to get a demo is to have an in-app purchase. You download the app for free, you try it, and then you pay for it. I think what Apple needs to do is look closely at apps that have expensive subscriptions. Now, I've got apps that I pay, I don't know, I think I pay $40 a year for Fantastic Owl, which is my calendar app, and it's worth it. It's an app I use constantly. I pay $20 a year for Bear, an app I use to keep notes. And that's the kind of price that seems normal. But when you're up to $520 a year, this should set off some red flags for Apple, and they should be looking into this. In, in fact, it's kind of interesting because this is also something that I talked about <laughs> in my Avar talk. I mentioned that there are lots of scam apps like this, and I, I happened to point out one that was a supposed secure browser. And this supposed secure browser was an iOS app that had subscription options that included $11.49 a week. This would be about $600 a year. So if you can imagine that, um, $600 a year for a supposedly secure browser from a company that nobody's ever heard of before, that should absolutely be a red flag for people. Um, you know, Apple should be able to identify that, you know, this is yeah. not normal. Okay, let's talk about another kind of scam. If you use Twitter, you may have seen in your Twitter timeline people posting something with little squares, gray and yellow and green. It's a game called Wordle, which all of a sudden hit critical mass. Apparently, it's been around for several years. Someone made it for himself and his partner just to enjoy. It's available free on a web. It's a, a game where you have to guess a word. You get six guesses to figure out a word. And this got really popular with articles in the New York Times and The Guardian here in the UK. And all of a sudden, in the App Store, boom, there were apps called Wordle the App or the Wordle App or whatever, ripping off the game, the name, and everything. Since then, Apple reacted. Now, here we're talking about a $13 million scam on the App Store where Apple's done nothing for $520 a year. And in less than 24 hours, because a bunch of influencers, and by that I mean people who write about Apple, publications like The Verge and Daring Fireball, et cetera, talked about this. And I'm guessing that some of these people contacted Apple directly and they removed these from the App Store. So it's kind of strange that when Apple's making money, a lot of money, they're not doing anything. But then for something which is, I mean, arguably, the, the problem is the guy who made Wordle didn't trademark the name or anything. So anyone can use it. But still, it's bad faith. And we've seen this before with games that have been just, you know, cloned and, and ripped off like this. It's nothing new. And it just, it just, I just can't have faith in the App Store when I see things like this. Yeah, I would like to say that we can trust the App Store, but there's there's certain scenarios where the App Store might be more trustworthy, you know, than other times. We've said before that generally, at least when it comes to Mac apps, where you can get apps from just about anywhere, it's probably best if you can get it from the App Store to get it from the App Store, just to make sure that you're downloading it from a probably more likely a safe place, right? One thing that uh, some of these clone app developers were doing was even buying ads so that they would appear at the top of the list. Now, Wordle, as I understand it, was not 
in the app store to begin with. This was a web-based game, I think. So I think in, in, in this particular case, everything that was in the app store was a clone of that web-based game. Um, so this is a little bit different situation from normal, but usually um, you should be able to uh, hopefully identify which is the original version of an app. Yeah, the thing is the guy never bothered trademarking the name. He never thought it would go viral the way it did. The name actually comes from his name. His name is Josh Wardle, W-A-R-D-L-E, which made me wonder, I wonder, Josh, is this you behind a persona here? Because we, we know that one of the well-known Mac security analysts is Patrick Wardle. We don't know what to relate it, Josh and Patrick, but the guy, he just made it for himself. And all of a sudden it's, you know, it's taken off. He didn't want to, he doesn't collect any data. He doesn't present any ads. He doesn't want to make money. And so it's not necessarily harming him, but what's happening is you have people taking advantage of this in the App Store, and this really undermines the reliability of the App Store, in my opinion. Yeah, to be honest, though, this is something that has been going on for a very long time. Yes. I mean, pretty much since the App Store has been around. Remember how many fart apps there were when the iPhone launched? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them cost 99 cents and people were making money. Yeah, yeah. But I think Apple has a lot to answer for. On the one hand, with the 13 million. On the other hand, of blatant clones. And you said this has happened before. Uh, before the show, we were talking about the game threes that came out maybe five years ago. And so you moved these tiles around three, six, twelve, twenty-four, etc. And the highest one you can get is 2048. So after a while, you had all these games that were called 2048, and one of them even says the original 2048 game. And I don't. I just don't understand why developers even bother. I, I I guess for the for the developers, you know, they're they're seeing this as an opportunity to make money. Obviously, no. I mean, the original developers. Why do they bother if they know they're going to be cloned and Apple won't necessarily stop the clones? I I, I guess you you have to hope that that you're still going to rank fairly highly, right, in the search results. But at some point, you're probably going to have to buy ads to make sure that you are the first result, because that that's always been a big problem. And it's the same way on Google. It's the same way on any search engine. But it's, it's also true in the App Store that the first result tends to be the one that people download, regardless of whether it is the legitimate result that you're looking for. Just a quick mention before the break, we just got an email from Apple's product security mailing list, and there was an iOS and iPadOS update 15.2.1, and this addresses the HomeKit issue that we talked about last week called DoorLock. Right. Remember, this was the issue that we talked about where if you gave a really long name to some HomeKit device that you manage, or if somebody else renamed it, then now you would have a denial of service situation where your iPhone would be stuck and you wouldn't be able to really use it at all anymore. Uh, and that's a pretty significant issue. It's not terribly likely that somebody would use this against you, but you know there are some scenarios so that we can imagine um, where that could be a problem. Remember, we talked about the the Tom Cruise in a hotel and somebody renamed his HomeKit device at home, and now he couldn't get an important call at the right moment. It's worth pointing out that I just went into my iPhone, and it shows the update is, is available, 970 megabytes. In addition to this HomeKit fix, it seems to also address an issue causing messages sent through an iCloud link not to load and fixes a bug with third-party CarPlay apps not responding to input. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about iPhone Private Relay and we're going to talk about Google and Apple. 
Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Indigo's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. Okay, we've talked about iPhone private relay. I'll link in the show notes to an article I wrote on the Intego Mac security blog. And what this does is it's not a VPN, but it masks your IP address a bit. It kind of keeps your location, but not precisely. And there have been two issues in the past week that have been very interesting. For one, European phone carriers are trying to block iCloud private relay. And one of the reasons they're giving is that it prevents networks and servers from accessing vital network data and metadata, which I think that's the feature, not the bug. And we'll have, and this is the good part, significant consequences in terms of undermining European digital sovereignty. And I would like to hear The Clash sing a song called European Digital Sovereignty. That would just be, that would be the best way to publicize this issue. Yeah. The whole point is so that um, the carrier network can't get this metadata. <laughs> they, they can't as easily identify you, track you wherever you're going on the web. That's kind of the whole point, right, of iCloud Private Relay. Now, Private Relay is still in beta. You know, we don't know exactly when it's going to come out of beta. But there have been a lot of things like this where you would like to think that as an Apple feature that this is just going to, to work, right? You expect Apple features to just work. And because of the way that you're bouncing your traffic through someplace else, that naturally can cause some issues. Um, now we're seeing more than just accidental issues. Now we're seeing intentional issues that are being caused by carriers because they want, uh, in this particular case, it sounds like what they're basically saying is we want to be able to track you. So therefore we are not allowing you to use private relay. Right. Now I've been using this feature since before it was officially released and I've turned it off on several of my devices because it does prevent some websites from loading correctly. But it's not that different from a VPN. And that's what a lot of the comments are pointing out, that if you're using a VPN, it's it's actually doing more than what Private Relay is doing. Carriers can't prevent you from using a VPN. Now, in addition to this, there was a report that T-Mobile and Sprint in the United States were blocking iCloud Private Relay access when people were connected to cellular data. And there was a big to-do about this. But then all of a sudden, it turns out that the only reason it was being blocked is because people had parental controls on content filtering, and that, that with iCloud Private Relay, content filtering can't work. So I, I think 
Apple's, I think this is a very important feature on Apple's part to protect user data, but people do need to know that if they turn this on, they may have issues, in particular content filtering or other types of issues. It's very possible that if you have an MDM solution, like an enterprise mobile device management system, that there could be problems as well because the mobile device management system needs direct access to your device to push updates, etc. So it's important to be aware that while this is a great feature, it can cause problems. One thing that's kind of interesting, and we'll link in the show notes to a 9to5Mac article where they talk about this whole thing as it's been unfolding, they they link to a tweet where somebody has a screenshot where they say, private relay is turned off for your, for your cellular plan. And they say that your cellular plan doesn't support iCloud private relay. So not everybody's seeing this, but there are some mobile carriers that um, are apparently are just turning it off and and... And iOS is actually displaying this message that their plan does not support private relay. Yeah, and we don't know why yet. Could it have something to do with content filtering? Could it have something to do with the type of plan it is? I don't know. The The, the one in question is talking about Aldi Talk. Aldi is a supermarket chain, and all the supermarket chains here sell SIM cards and phone plans. So the, the O2 network does a lot of this virtual mobile network operator thing where they sell time to other companies that use the network. So it could be something very specific about one of these cheap phone plans. It doesn't give you the same type of access as a normal phone plan, but that's just speculation. In any case, I've had to turn it off, as I said, on a couple of my devices because some websites don't work. Right. What's interesting to me about all this is is just that um, the carriers can say arbitrarily, like, we're going to decide that you're not allowed to use that Apple feature, but they can't really do anything, like you said, to prevent you from using an actual VPN, which does more than just iCloud Private Relay does uh, to protect you. And so, like, how are they? How are they able to just say we're not going to allow you to use that feature that's built into your phone? Yeah. That's that seems kind of crazy to me. Well. On a flip side of that, there are some features that Apple offers that carriers don't necessarily support. For a long time, there was only one carrier here in the UK that supported the Apple Watch. I believe there are two or three now, but it took years before anyone, and I think this was, they had signed some sort of exclusivity with Apple to be the only one. Not all carriers offer visual voicemail. I know that's a big defining feature. If, if you look in your country on the Apple website, you should be able to find a list of features somewhere and which carrier supports them. I will see if I can find a global link to put in the show notes about this. Okay, we have a story from about 10 days ago, which is pretty interesting. There's a class action lawsuit filed in California alleging that Google is paying Apple to stay out of the search engine business. And the numbers that get bandied around that Google pays Apple in August of last year, someone estimated it was about $15 billion a year. In 2020, it was around $10 billion, and, and I've seen that it could be as much as $20 billion for the coming year. And the class action lawsuit is saying that in order for Google to maintain its search monopoly, they're paying Apple to not create a search engine. Now, it's kind of hard to prove this, right? They'd have to have a lot of discovery and get emails saying where, you know, Tim Cook says, yes, I agree, we will never make a search engine because you're paying us billions of dollars. I don't think it would be that easy to find. Would Apple ever want to make a search engine? I know a lot of people would probably trust an Apple search engine more than a Google search engine. But given the fiasco of Apple Maps, we know how long it took for Apple Maps to be good enough to use. So is this even a sh viable in the short term? 
Well, and and some people still don't think that Apple Maps is worth using. <laughs> I use Google Maps because it's a lot more reliable here in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime that there's any new supposed, you know, Google search killer, I'm always very skeptical and I'll try it out. And usually what I find is that kinds of things that, uh, that I, I search for and in, in testing it, I, I, I tend to find that Google most of the time does really have the best search results. And, and by the way, and I usually use Google search when I'm not signed into Google because I don't necessarily want Google tracking all the things that I'm searching for. So I'm not getting the the benefit of, you know, added context based on things that I usually search for either. And yet Google does tend to be one of the best. And so I, I think that um, certainly there there is a potential for Apple to say, hey, we actually respect your privacy, unlike Google. And so therefore, we have the search engine that we think you should be using to, you know, maintain your privacy while still getting good results. It's that good results. That's the really hard part about that equation is how does Apple make a search engine that is going to have results that are as good as Google's. That's a really tricky thing because Google's been the best at this for a very long time. Yeah, Google has the experience. They have the database. And of course, Apple could buy all that in the sense of buying the talent to build it and buying the server farms to, to host all the data. But it is the... It's the frequency of search. When you type in into Google a couple of words and you see what it's suggesting, this is because millions of people have searched for those words with other words. And this is something that Google develops over a long period of time. Now, you can, of course, make your searches a lot more private using private browsing in your web browser. I'll link in the show notes to an article on the Intego Mac security blog where we discuss this. But it's not even a question of private browsing. It's a question of simply Google, with every search that you make, increases the reliability of their search database. In other words, when you search for something and you get 10 search results on the first page, the one you click on goes into Google's database as saying, aha, this is the one the person wanted, or at least this is the one closest to what the person wanted that they can see on the first page. Mm -hmm. It is also, I, I mean, obviously one big aspect of this story is just that, you know, for Apple to be a supposedly privacy-focused company that's always kind of attacking Google and Facebook and everybody for their lack of privacy and respect of privacy, it's interesting that Apple is m making billions of dollars every year <laughs> from Google because Google's paying them to use the Google search engine by default. Yeah, that's a bit of hypocrisy that when on the one hand, they're saying, you know, we keep your data safe and secure. And on the other hand, they're just cashing a big check. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's kind of an issue. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why this has been kind of coming up in the news, because it, it does appear that there's uh, quite a bit of hypocrisy there on Apple's part. Well, how long has it been since you've been able to use an alternate search engine by default in Safari? I remember when you were first able to search in the Safari address bar, search bar, whatever, Omnibar, is that what they call it in Chrome? When you were first able to do that, I think you could only use Google. You could type in bing.com and then search on the website. But it's that ability to do a search without going to a search engine that's powerful. And then Apple did have to give you options. And you can currently choose Bing, Yahoo, DuckDuckGo, and Ecosia as options. So they were forced to give you more options at some point. This kind of makes me think about the whole Microsoft Windows Internet Explorer thing, right? 
they were the the lawsuits, particularly in Europe, were about antitrust. The fact that they're bundling the browser means that's the one you're going to use. This is pretty similar to me. If you want a more privacy focused search engine, you can change Safari's default to to DuckDuckGo. I like to use StartPage.com. It's not one of the options that you can pick in Safari, but that's another one that tends to be pretty uh, privacy focused. And and usually DuckDuckGo and and StartPage have pretty good results. Maybe not quite as good as Google, but um, at least uh, they say that they respect your privacy a little bit more than Google does. Okay, that's enough for this week. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs> <laughs>